1: i show you a video from 10 years ago i think it's interesting to think about the vision just for my own sake how many of you were with us over at the old building raise your hands okay look around how many of you have come here since we built the new building so about probably more have come here since we moved to this new building than were with us at our old building. So it's interesting to go on that visioning tour and actually think about a a piece of land that has nothing on it and then look at the reality now. It's interesting, the things that we talked about back then as being a reality today, except for the playground, that may be something, and also the the growth of our our community. I don't know if I just had bad numbers back then, but um, I don't think we're at 20,000. And You might wonder how we got onto the roof of Home Depot. I won't tell you, that's a secret. No. <laughs> so as we start 2017, I thought, and myself and the elders, that it would be a good time for us to refocus on our vision and our mission as a church. And so I am very thankful for all the new people that have coming. Some of you have been here 50 years, some of you have been here maybe five weeks, some of you have been here all in between. And so it's interesting to see how many new people have come in. And, I, and I've been your pastor for almost 12 years now. It's hard to believe. And it's a great privilege to be able to shepherd this flock. <clears throat> and so as we think about our mission, as we think about the reality of, of where we've come over the past years, I want us just to ask some questions this morning. It's going to kind of take us on a trajectory over the next month of January. First question is this. What's our mission? What is our mission? It's on everything that you get. It's on your bulletin. We talked about it even in our new members class this morning. We talked about it. We exist to display God's glory, to declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. So regardless of whether we met in 1309 Sydney, whether we're meeting here, whether we're meeting in a hut, whether we're meeting in a park, whether we're meeting in homes, it's regardless of where we meet, the mission of Emmanuel Baptist Church is always the same. It it hasn't changed. We exist to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and disciple for God's great commission. That is the heartbeat of our church. And so to help us refocus on that, I've created a 21-day devotional guide. We've done this from time to time. After the service, they will be available out on the Welcome Center table. 21 days. It starts tomorrow. If you don't want an electronic copy, you can go to our church blog. They will be posted every day. There will also be a link on Facebook. You can also get it on the church app. We want everybody to think about the next 21 days going through this devotional guide together. It'll take you about maybe 10, 15 minutes a day, but it's getting you into the scriptures and focusing on our our mission as a church and just how you grow as a Christian. Second question, what tool has God given us to accomplish our mission now there's a lot of tools he's given us there's a lot of ways we can accomplish our mission but the big tool that he's given us is this building where you're sitting here this morning it's hard to believe that we've been in this building since June of 2009 and some of you made the move from the old building to the new building some of you have come here and didn't even know that video existed where we're out there walking on a piece of dirt But I want you to think about all the things that have happened in this building since 2009. We've had eight vacation Bible schools. We've had Christian concerts. We've used the parking lot for 4th of July every year. We are a designated Red Cross shelter. I don't know if you know that, but back in 2013 during the big flood, the Beehive uh, Living Center was able to come over here and use our facility. We just got called a few days ago thinking that they may have to open up our church as a rescue center for the big blizzard. We've had women's events, retreats, teas, craft nights. We've had lifeline screening. We've hosted prison ministry dinners. We've had numerous funerals. We've had countless weddings. We used to have a Hispanic church that met in here. Um, We've had men's breakfasts. We've had evangelism training, marriage seminars, finance seminars, parenting seminars, harvest festivals, baby dedications, anniversary parties, wedding showers, baby showers, graduation parties, and not to mention many baptisms. And I could go on and on. It's hard to believe how many people have been impacted just through this building. Now, it's not the building that's been the impact. It's God and his gospel that's made the impact, but the building's been a tool. Aren't you thankful there's heat this morning? Aren't you thankful we're in a climate-controlled environment where you could come into a nice, warm building and be all together? So what's our mission? To display God's glory, to declare God's gospel, to disciple for God's great commission. That doesn't change regardless of where we are. What tool has God given us in his grace to be able to accomplish that mission? He's given us this building. But let me ask the third question. What's the current need facing Emmanuel Baptist Church? What's our need? Well, there's an immediate material need. And that is that we need to pay down the mortgage on this building. It's a reality. We've got a mortgage payment every month that we are to pay to our bank. And that does not come out of the general budget. It comes above and beyond people's ties. But there's a long-term vision. And that is being faithful for the future. So let me show you the graphic up on the screen, the faithful for the future graphic. If we can get that up there, the graphic. And I want to think about, it's, it's, two baton, or two, it's two hands passing off the baton, faithful for the future. Why have we chosen this theme, faithful for the future? How you and I commit right now, both financially and spiritually and, and investing, impacts the future. What we do right now impacts the future. So what we are doing right now in our faithfulness impacts the future. But secondly, I want you to think about those who've come behind us have helped our future. I was really reflecting this past week on our past couple of building funds that we've done. And a lot of the key contributors to our past building fund, I don't know what they gave, and I don't know exactly all those information, but a lot of those people have gone to be with the Lord. When you think about Some of the people in our church who've gone on to be with the Lord, we've had some very faithful senior citizens who've passed away the past couple years that were faithful to help out for our future. The Bible also speaks of passing the faith along to the next generation, to be faithful to pass the faith on to the next generation. And the other issue is we can't wait for another group of people to do it. It'd be nice to sit around and wait for the next generation to do this. But we can't put that on the next generation. We have to be faithful now for the future. So here's the big question. How can we be faithful for the future? I want to draw your attention to 2 Timothy, where we're going to camp out in verses 1 through 13 over the next four weeks. Asking this question, how can we be faithful for the future? But I want to give some context, so I want you to back up into chapter 1. And let's begin in verse 15 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy to set the stage for what Paul addresses in the second chapter of, of, of 2 Timothy. So let's begin reading in verse 15. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Let's get the context of 2 Timothy What's going on in this passage of Scripture? Paul is close to dying. Many scholars believe this is his last letter that he's writing. And he's in prison in Rome. And he's a dying man, he's close to death. He has appointed Timothy, this young pastor, to lead the church in Ephesus. And Timothy's facing some troubles. There's heresy, there's false teaching, there's people that are ashamed of the gospel. And Paul lists two people that were not faithful Philegus and Hermogenes. Now, how would you like to have those two names? They had abandoned Paul, they had turned away. There was one man, Onesiphorus, that had remained with Paul. And so Timothy's faced here with the church that's going through some struggles. There are people that are walking away from the faith. There are people that are not wanting to identify with Paul. He's a young pastor. And so what Paul is trying to remind Timothy is, is that you need to pass the faith along to the next generation, Timothy. You need to be strong as this young pastor. And we see the same thing today. We see churches that are abandoning the truth. We see denominations that are walking away from the gospel. We see people that are ashamed to name the name of Christ. We see people making major compromises on biblical truth. It's all around us. Yet as your pastor, my job is to lead us to not do that. I want us to stand strong in the gospel. I want us to be faithful I want us to not be ashamed. I don't want us to abandon the truths that God has given us. I want us to be faithful to our mission. And so here's what we need. Here is what we need. What is most needed in Timothy's life to pastor this church is what we most need in our life as a church. And if you get nothing out of today's sermon, this is what you need to hear. It's in verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened in grace. This is in the present tense, which means, Timothy, keep on continually as a lifestyle, ongoingly, if that's a word, strengthen, be strengthened, be empowered, be sustained by God's Grace, you are going to need it. You and I are going to need a daily, if not moment by moment, empowerment of God's grace in our lives that only comes through Christ Jesus. Now Paul is speaking to Timothy here. He said, Timothy, you need grace, but by extension, we need grace because we are in Christ Jesus. And Paul elsewhere uses this phrase be strengthened in some very famous passages of Scripture. You know this one in Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Same Greek word. God strengthens me. We also know that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in order to live the Christian life." in order to be faithful for the future, in order to do anything of any significance, that's what we desperately need. Strength that comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to talk about what it means as a church to be faithful, When we talk about financial stewardship, when we talk about making commitments, when we talk about disciple-making, when we talk about fulfilling our mission, when we talk about these big-ticket items, that's where we definitely, as a church, need grace. Because these are spiritual activities. One thing I do not want to do in my life is to live my life in the flesh. I don't want to produce results that can be manufactured by what I can produce. I can produce a lot. You can produce a lot. But is it of significant eternal value? What we need most is grace. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul gives four ways that we can be strengthened by grace to be faithful for the future. We're just going to look at one of them today. We're going to look at one each of the four Sundays in January. So we're just going to look at verse 2 this morning. And here's the main point for today. We are faithful for the future by entrusting others to teach the gospel. Key word, entrusting others. Look at verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. It's a strong command. Timothy Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what's been entrusted to Timothy to entrust to others? Well, go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 13 and 14. Paul gives the answer. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we find these words. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The good deposit entrusted to you, the sound words, the gospel, the word of truth, Timothy's been entrusted to you. It's sound words. You heard it in my presence. You've learned the gospel. Now you in turn need to entrust this to others. Now what does it mean to entrust? What does it mean to entrust? It means to transmit safely. To make sure that what we're passing on to somebody else is pure, unadulterated, uncompromised. It is the gospel. That there's no confusion. That there's no compromise. That there's no distraction. That we entrust the sound words. We entrust the gospel. We entrust the word of God to faithful people. That we don't compromise on the truth. Now, Timothy, who are you to entrust this to? Entrust this to faithful men. Now, in the immediate context, Paul is probably talking about the official elders at Ephesus. Because there's a lot of heresy going on in the church. There's a lot of problems. Paul's not there. Paul's in prison. Timothy's a young pastor. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, make sure you find faithful elders. Find faithful men that you can entrust to be the teachers of the church. You're going to need help. You can't do this on your own. You're going to need men to come alongside you to help lead, to help guide, to help shepherd the church. Because of the, the sheep are susceptible we can't just have any and everybody be the teachers. We can't just let anybody in because wolves come in in sheep's clothing. Do you realize wolves don't walk into a church with a name badge that says, Hello, my name's Wolfie. They come in secretly. And so these men need to be vetted. That's why we vet our teachers. We don't just let anybody and everybody teach at Emmanuel Baptist Church. We make sure that we're entrusting the gospel to faithful people who are able to teach notice what it says there entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others these men especially elders need to be able need to be competent need to be able to teach need to be able to explain god's word that's one of the qualifications of a pastor of an elder that paul gives in first timothy first timothy chapter three verses one and two the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer that's the same thing as an elder or a pastor. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, a pastor, an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Timothy, you've got to find men, faithful men, not only in their character that are faithful, but they've got to be able to teach. Titus 1.9. He, that's talking about the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Timothy, find faithful elders who are men of character that are able to teach. Now let me just pause and say, I am so thankful that in Emmanuel we have those men. Amen. We have faithful men who are elders that are able to teach, able to lead, able to guide, able to shepherd this church. But, Let's just take elders out of the equation for a moment. And I want to show you a principle in this text. I want you to see four generations of disciple-making in this passage of Scripture. Who does it start with? Who's writing the letter? Paul. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, what you've heard from me, what you've learned from me, I'm passing on to you. So generation one is Paul. Paul passes it on to, who's the second generation? Timothy. Okay, Timothy, there's a third generation. What you've learned from me and trust to faithful men, third generation who'll be able to what? Teach others. Fourth generation. There's four generations of discipleship in that one verse. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. And by extension, this process should be going on and on perpetually in the life of a church. There should be the perpetual passing on of the baton of the faith in the life of a church. That's why the graphic on the cross uh, that we have there is is two hands uh, like a relay race passing off the baton. You should always be passing off the baton of your faith to somebody else. Because somebody passed the baton off of faith to you. I want you to think about something for a moment. Think about a person, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a mentor. Who is the one person who's had the most instrumental impact upon you personally in your spiritual growth? Who has impacted you personally the most in how you are a Christian today? Who have you learned the most from? They invested in you Now your job is to go invest in somebody else, to be that same person to somebody else. I've been very privileged in my life to have three mentors. When I was in high school, my youth pastor invested in me. I was preaching sermons as a junior in high school on Sunday nights at my church because my youth pastor invested in me. They were really bad sermons, but at least I was learning how to preach. When I was in college, I had a collegiate minister that invested in me that taught me the value of Missions. And then as my first pastor, when I was a young youth pastor, Pastor Ron, who many of you know, was my other mentor. So I've been able to be mentored by three godly men, and and that's that's invaluable to me as a pastor. And I'm sure that somebody has impacted you. And so the principle is this, in order to be a faithful church, there's got to be the passing on of the faith. There's got to be entrusting the faith. There's got to be giving the faith on to other people, to, especially to the next generation, to pass it down, to pass the baton, to raise up leaders. Sound doctrine, faithful men, faithful people, good leadership. Here's the problem. This is why it's so crucial. Do you realize the culture we're living in? Nod your head if you agree with me. Do we live in a world of biblical illiteracy where people just don't know what the Bible says? Do we live in a world where there are so many temptations to cave in on the truth in the church? It is more crucial now than ever that we pass the baton on to others in the faith in order to be a faithful church. That the foundation that this church is built on is the gospel, the truth, the sound words. And that can be in any relationship. In the immediate context, it's Timothy passing it on to, to elders. But think about it. Parents. Parents. How are you passing the faith on to your children? Maybe it's in a mentoring relationship. Maybe it's in any relationship where you have influence. Are you passing on the faith? Mark Devers written a great little book called Discipling, and this is what he says. He says, quote, All of us inevitably will be influenced by others, and we will in turn influence others. The people around you will influence you for better or for worse. And for better or worse, you in turn will affect the people around you. The only question that remains for you is... How will you use your influence? You're already influencing people whether you know it or not. And others are influencing you. The question is, how are you going to use your influence? That's why we place a premium in this church on children and youth ministry. Now, we're entrusted with the Great Commission. The Great Commission. To make disciples. What is the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's the main verb in the Great Commission? A lot of people think it's go, because that's how it starts, right? Go therefore, go door to door, go, go out. That's not the main verb. The main verb is make disciples. And there's three ways we do that. There's three participles or three modifiers, three descriptors of how you make disciples. One is going. It really should be translated as you're going. In the natural ebb and flow of your life, as you're going, as you're living life, as you're making relationships, as you're influencing people, you're to be making disciples as you're going. Number two, you're to be baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So one of the marks of a disciple is that you've been baptized by immersion under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Again, baptism doesn't save you, but it's a beautiful picture of what's happened to your old life. You've died to your old life. You've been raised to new life. It pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross and rising from the dead. And so baptism is the entry point into the Christian life. That's why we're to baptize, and that's why you should be baptized. So let me just stop and say this. If you're not baptized... If you have not followed the Lord in believers' baptism, come see me after the service. Make an appointment with me. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized. So, as you're going, make disciples. You make disciples by baptizing new believers. But, thirdly, Jesus says teaching them. That's where we always stop teaching them. We've got to teach. But notice what he says teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. So it's not just teaching for teaching's sake. We don't just teach for information, we teach for transformation. We teach so that people will obey, follow, live under the lordship of Christ. That's what we are to be doing as a church is to facilitate the spiritual growth of believers. Whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, our goal as a church is to help facilitate your growth, to help you grow as a disciple so that you can in turn pass your faith on to someone else. Now, parents, you have the highest priority to teach your children in your own home. We as a church will never abdicate that from you. We'll never take that from you. We we, we say, parents, you are the primary discipler of your children. It's not Pastor Andrew's job. It's not my job to disciple your children. It's your job to do that. Now, with that being said, we want to be a help. We want to be a facilitator. That's why at Emanuel Baptist Church, we place a premium on children and youth ministries because we realize that parents and youth and children, kids don't always want to be with their parents. And they can be in Team Kid or Club 45 or Youth Group or Cubbies where they can learn on their own level with dynamic teachers that love them and they can love coming and being disciple at church. Think about all that happens on a weekly basis in this building for just a moment. What's happening right now on Sunday morning? We're all together for worship. The hour before this, we had growth groups meeting. We've got babies over there being ministered to. We've got children. Everything's going on here on Sunday mornings. On Tuesday mornings, we have a men's Bible study. Again, it'll be starting up in a couple weeks, going through the book of Judges. There's a women's Bible study that meets after that. Every other Wednesday morning, the homeschool co-op, the Vine, not even people related to our church, a lot of them, come and use a lot of this totality of this building that we've been able to allow them to use. Wednesday nights, if you're here on Wednesday night, there's over a thousand, not a thousand, there's over a hundred hooligans, munchkins. No, it's fun. I love to walk in here and see all the activity. Children and youth and kids being discipled. And do you realize on Wednesday nights, a lot of these come from families that aren't churched. We've had weekend seminars. We've had Thursday morning Bible studies for women. All the things that we've had in this building. Now, let me just say this. We don't have to teach here. We don't have to entrust here. We don't have to disciple here. We could all pack up and go over to McDonald's this morning and I could preach there. We could all meet in homes. We could meet at Pioneer Park. There's a time and place for things like that. We don't have to do the teaching, the training, the discipling, all the things that we do. We don't have to do that in a building you understand that, right? We can accomplish our, our mission without a building. But let me just say this. God has blessed us with the building, a, a, a wonderful building that is a tool for ministry. And think about all the things that God has been able to do through this tool in entrusting others with the gospel. So what's the goal? that through the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church, everybody connected to this church would be entrusted with the gospel so that they in turn can entrust it to somebody else who in turn can entrust it to somebody else who in turn can entrust it to somebody else and who in turn can entrust it to somebody else so that we have a bunch of entrusted people who are living as disciples. At this time, I'd like to ask one of our elders, Russell Hirschberger, to come and share just a brief testimony About how the Lord has entrusted him through his connection at Emmanuel, from where he was when he walked through these doors 15 years ago to where he is now as an elder. And so, thanks for showing up, Russell. So, thanks for showing up. He should show up, he's an elder, right? So, tell us about how you came to Emmanuel and how you, being here has richly helped you uh, grow in Christ and grow in your knowledge in
0: Christ. Well, I guess, first of all, I, uh, I was raised in a Christian home, good Christian home, went to a, a Christian church all my life, but in 2001, Crystal and I felt God calling us somewhere else. We weren't sure what that meant, and so the first step in our uh, spiritual growth was Obedience. Because even though we were being called away, I grew up in the same church. And so it was not easy to step away because that was all I knew. But we stepped out in obedience and we had a list of things that was a must and then wants. And the must was solid biblical teaching. And uh, we found that in Emmanuel. First week... We didn't want to say anything to each other just because you don't want to get too excited right away. But we both knew the first week, and within the second week, we confirmed with each other: "Yes, this is it. This is our. our this is what we need to call home. This church is fits everything that God has for us." Um, you know, in that time between the different teaching with the pastors, with the classes, with uh, the, the friendships we've made, it is just. Encouraged us, brought us joy, brought us um, just just a whole another depth that we had not experienced before that point.
1: So, how has being part of EBC equipped you to be an elder? Because you've been only been how long? You've been elder about five years. Uh,
0: it's been since this church. It was uh, September of 2010. Okay. Um, so that's part of my this church this building experience. Is I was not an elder at the old building, uh, and the funny thing with the eldership is. I never sought, I, I always knew that I would be in church, I just never thought of myself in any kind of leadership position. But again, obedience came into play. I knew I loved this church, I love these people, I love what God is doing here. And if I was going to follow what God was laying on my heart, that meant, you know, when Pastor Sean and the other elders came to me, that yes, that meant I needed to, to follow that. Um, you know, how, how has it equipped me? Well, I think the first way I was equipped was by not planning on being an elder. I came in with wanting to grow in Christ, was learning more of the doctrine, had a hunger for theology, had a hunger for being taught and learning things. And through learning things, the obedience once again stepped in, and not looking to be a leader... It came to me, I guess. And so
1: now you're working with the youth. How has your experience here helped you to entrust the next generation with the gospel?
0: Well, and I've been, of course, doing the youth longer than the eldership. I did that a little bit at at my old church. I was practically still a youth myself when I started volunteering. And it kind of comes to, I guess, a a big picture to me, kind of a perspective issue. I think often to uh, Psalm 127 when I... Think of these kind of things. It's, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. You know, it's not about us. It's about what God's doing. And so when I get to thinking about the current, I have to think of the past. You know, in order for me to be where I am now, the, the growing that I've done, the places Christ has brought me, it's only because he first entrusted people that many I have never even met, you know, generations before me. And so, I would not be in obedience if I myself did not then accept humbly, very humbly at times, that he is entrusting me to, in obedience, pass on to others.
1: Amen. And you think it's vitally important to entrust the gospel off to the next generation?
0: Uh, it's not only vitally important, but it's, it, is, it is necessary, it's following in obedience to, to entrust it, because it just be one generation, generation away from failing if, if we did not follow into obedience to, to entrust to others.
1: Amen. Thank you, Russell. Appreciate it. Amen. So here's the bottom line. Our mission as a church, hear me strongly here, our mission as a church is not to pay down the debt on this building. If that's the mission of our church, who cares? That's not the the mission, to pay down the debt. Our mission is to display God's glory, to declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. Our our mission is to entrust others with the gospel. That's really what we're called to do, to teach, to train, to equip, to encourage, to, 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 to mentor, so that everybody connected to Emmanuel Baptist Church is growing in Christ, whether that be a new person that just walks through the door that doesn't know the gospel, to somebody that's been here their entire life and is maturing. And I've said this before even when we were back in our old building. And some of you remember our old building we were in two worship services, crowded, and that weird, I don't remember what the stage was, where I had to duck half the time because that TV was sticking out there. We had no parking lot, really. You had to park on the streets. NJC classes, all the adults met down at NJC. The toilet in the men's restroom was always acting up. We could never heat that sanctuary. It was always freezing in there. Uh, We had that little jam-packed foyer after the services. Everybody would try to... So regardless of whether we're over there or we're over here, one thing I said over there 12 years ago, one thing I'm going to say now, it's not about the building. It's never been about a building. It's always been about Christ, His mission, and His gospel. The building is simply a tool for Ministry that God has given us. And my thought process hasn't changed. Whether we meet in a jungle hut, whether we meet in an apartment, whether we meet in a field, our mission's going to stay the same because it's God's mission for our church. But in His providence, in His grace, God's given us this building. You are here because a group of people over 10 years ago voted to build. We moved over here. We built a new building. This building did not just magically appear without people having to help pay for it. And it needs to be paid for. The mortgage needs to be paid on a monthly, just like your home mortgage. And there's no outside funding that comes in. That would be great if we had outside funding. Every single month that we pay the mortgage to our bank, the money that we pay comes from you guys and from me and our commitments that we've made. There's no outside funding source that gives us money to pay this. And so what we as elders are asking you to do is to faithfully pray. That's all we're asking you to do is to pray about how you would participate over the next few weeks. We're going to do two-year commitments this year. We're not doing a three-year commitment. We're doing two-year. Some of you have done this before. Some of you, this may be new to you. We're not forcing anybody to do this. We're simply asking you to pray. At the end of this month, on January 29th, we are going to have a special worship service. We're going to have a special meal. We're not going over to NJC. We're not going to drag this out over a long period of time. We believe that if God's calling you to participate, He'll make it very clear. But what we're asking you to do is just to pray about how would I commit above and beyond my tithe for the next two years to help pay down the debt on this building. Now let me tell you where our debt is. It's $1.338,211,000.19. So let's just round up. It's $1.38 million. $1.3 million. Let me tell you my personal desire. Here's my desire. It's the Sean Cole's desire. I would sure love to see us over the next two years get that number under a million. It's a whole lot easier to say, we owe $900,000 on our building than we owe 1.38. Did you even hear the difference? 1.38 million, 900,000. Sounds different, doesn't it? We're not going to pay it off in two years. God could pay it off in two years. The bottom line is, I would love to see us at least break that million-dollar threshold and get it down into six digits. And so, as I've been thinking about this, the last building fund campaign, we had 80 giving units. And I don't know who they were. I don't know what they pledged. But there were 80 giving units that that pledged. So let me give you some math here. Easy math for Sean Cole, okay? I'm not Mickey Dubs. I can't figure it all up in my head. If everybody of these 80 people or 80 giving units that just committed last time, and there's probably a whole bunch of new people, just gave $50 a week, above and beyond their tithe, Just $50 a week for the next two years, we'd have $400,000. And it would easily get us underneath that million dollars. Now you may say that's a big commitment because that means $200 a month. That means $2,400 a year. That means $4,800 over two years. Let me just put it to you this way. $50 a week. Let's just cut that in half. Let's just say I'm going to give $25 a week. How many of you... Go out to eat after church every Sunday and spend more than $25 for your family. What if you said, for the next two years, I'm not going to go out to eat after church. I'm going to use that $25 to sacrifice to give to the building fund. And some of you may not even be giving at all. You may not even be giving to anything. And you may think to yourself, I could give $25 a week. That that wouldn't be that hard. And so think of all the interest we'd save if it got under a million dollars. So, even if you don't pledge, let's just say that for the next three weeks you hear all this stuff and, and, you, and you go through the process and you decide not to pledge, no harm, no foul. That's between you and the Lord. One thing I do want you to do, though, is I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to understand what it means to entrust the gospel to the next generation. I want you to understand our mission and our vision. I want you to be strengthened by God's grace. Again, I want, to, I want you to go through the 21-day devotional guide and to, and to learn how to, to get... Closer to the Lord. And my prayer is that everybody would commit for the next two years, but more importantly than just the pledges is that we as a church would be strengthened by grace to be faithful for the future, whatever that looks like in your own personal lives. So let me give you two practical takeaways regarding entrusting the gospel to others. Some two things to think about. Number one, would you personally thank the person that had the most impact on you? Now, the hard thing may be if they're not alive. It's going to be hard to do that. Maybe you just spend time with God thanking Him. But maybe you write them a card. Don't send them a text. That's kind of impersonal. If you're going to, I would say this, call that person up talk to that person, thank that person, but would you just express thanks to the person that impacted you and say, listen, you've impacted me spiritually, personally. I want to thank you for that. And just thank them for the, the investment they've made in your life. Would you do that this week? And here's the second takeaway. Write down a person's name, even right now, or think about a person in your life right now that you could seriously begin to think about passing the baton onto. Maybe it's your child. That's okay. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that God strategically placed in your life. Who right now is in your life that you have influence over that you can begin to take a baby step and say, you know what, I'm going to begin to pass the baton on to them. And you may say, well, I don't know what to say to them. Well, there's two things you need. One is the Bible and number two is the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. That's how the church dealt with it all these years. So the only way to move forward in obedience to Christ, regardless of whether you commit to the building fund, regardless of all that, the one thing I'm most concerned about is that we would all be strengthened by grace to fulfill the mission for us as a church and also God's mission for your personal life and how you would live for His glory. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning in a time of prayer. Think about those people, the person who's impacted you, and maybe somebody that you can impact. And would you go to the Lord during this time and ask Him to give you the strength through the grace of Christ to entrust others with the gospel and that we as a church would be a church that entrusts others with the gospel, that we would be faithful for the future strength we need your empowering we, we do know that anytime we talk about discipleship when we talk about passing the faith along when we talk about being a faithful church that's going to require some serious grace some serious strength I don't know how to do it we can't do this in our own flesh in our own power Lord we need your strength so would you give us that strength that only comes from you? Lord, I do pray for our hearts to be soft to what you may be leading us to do over the next couple of weeks. That we begin to think, think now how or if or, 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 or how we're going to participate in a two-year process to pay down our debt, Lord. So Lord, I just pray that you would begin to move in people's hearts and that we would all be open to whatever you would lead us to do for your glory and for your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.